Which of these three things do you admire? Strength, IQ, or dependence? Now, strength, many people admire strength, many people admire IQ. I think we as Christians would say we admire dependence, but we don't like to feel that sometimes. It feels like weakness to be dependent, doesn't it? Ginger has a friend. She's gone to be with the Lord now. She uh, was raised in Miles City, and she was a tough cookie. She worked... uh, men's jobs on construction and so forth. She'd always be on a heavy construction crew someplace. And uh, she would, before she was saved, she would go to bars and arm wrestle men, and she'd usually win. She, 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 was, she, was, she was strong. Not particularly feminine looking, however. So when I was in school, I was kind of the 98-pound skinny, you know, wonder the opposite of Atlas. Uh, but I, I do admire strength, physical strength. It's a good thing. I admire intellectual strength. I always have talked about Charles Hill several times. Went to school with him. He ended up getting three PhDs. He was a fairly bright guy. So which is the best off? Depending on strength, depending on smartness, or raising your hand for help? This man came to Jesus. We're working through John, and I have to kind of excuse myself this morning for the way I'm going. Uh, this man came to Jesus, he's a nobleman, and asked that Jesus would heal his son. And Jesus said to him, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. So I, I thought about the idea of miraculous signs and wonders, and the passage came to my mind out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, Jews demand miraculous signs. In other words, the reason that Jews would believe is because of signs that they saw. Greeks look for wisdom. They admire intellectual strength. But we preach Christ crucified. Now, Christ crucified to an intellectual would seem like foolishness. To a strong person, it would seem like, it would seem like weakness. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So I started thinking about this miraculous signs thing and... <clears throat> strength and intellect and so forth. And I went to 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. So as we're working the way through John, this has nothing to do with the passage in John. It just led to hear from the passage in John. So let me read it out, out loud to you. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So let's look at these three options, strength, intellect, or dependence. First of all, you can depend upon your strength. I don't know how many of you are sports fans, probably most people watch the Super Bowl today. You're kind of an exception if you don't watch it. I love sports. My favorite sport is track and field. And the reason it's my, spa- uh, my favorite sport is because my oldest brother, who was 11 years older than I, took me to an AAU track meet at the University of Oregon, which is a, they're known for their track program. 
And I watched a man named Dyrall Burleson run the, the mile, and I was hooked. Uh, I've liked track and field ever since then, particularly mid-distance mid runners. So we all know that athletes, many of you have participated in athletics, athletes work really, really hard at their craft. They work harder and harder and get better and better. And it's kind of tricky for us spiritually because if we take that into the spiritual realm, then it can become works. I'll just keep trying harder and working harder. But you don't want to be the opposite either and not try hard. So, you know, working on physical strength is a, is a good thing, but God kind of wants us spiritually to get over this idea of get her done. I'll just get her done. Work hard enough and it'll, it'll happen. Now, lots of examples in the Scripture. The, one that, the first one that always comes to my mind is Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press in a hole, and there's a war going on. God comes to him and says, hey, mighty warrior. And uh, Gideon does respond to him, and he has several thousand, tens of thousands of men to begin with in his army, and God said, that's too many. Send everybody that's afraid home. So if you ask an army, they're about to go into battle. Anybody afraid? Yeah, I am. So most of them, most of them went home. Then he said, "Okay, have them drink out of the brook, and if they if they drink like a dog, where they put their face down in the water, he said, send them home. If they drink like this, and that's a that's a good soldier. So I'll keep them around. Well, he just has a few left after going through all this process, and God says, now that's just right. In other words." You were really strong, you were really powerful before, but now the only way you can say that you're going to win is that I helped you win. And that's the state that God wants us to be in. Moses is another one. Moses said, I can't even give a good speech. Why are you calling me to go, go before Pharaoh? David, when he was fighting Goliath, says, you depend on spear, sword, and javelin. I depend upon the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. So he was obviously a strong person, but depended on the Lord to win. Secondly, you can depend on your intellect. So if it's not brawn, it's not going to be brain either. And Paul, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but you know the, the philosophers that we study today, a lot of the ancient Greek philosophers, Aristotle and Socrates and so forth, they were just a few hundred years before the Apostle Paul. So when so I've been there. When, when you go to the, the Parthenon and you see a stone there where Paul argued with these philosophers. So these are the most brilliant men in the world, and Paul comes and you know, pits his, his case to them. I've probably mentioned this to you before. I think about it all the time, but I had a philosophy professor. Philosoph I probably shouldn't say this. Philosophy professors are goofy. I've never had one yet that wasn't goofy. And maybe I should say eccentric. Maybe that would be a little nicer, nicer way of, of saying it. But this guy, I can't get close enough to this wall, but he, he's one of the ones that didn't make me come to class, so I didn't. But before I knew that, he, he was lecturing one day, and he got up on the chalkboard, and he'd written something on the chalkboard, and then he got up and leaned against the chalkboard. And he stood there and looked at that chalkboard for almost the whole class, just not writing anything, just talking. And he, I'm telling you, he was an odd duck. <laughs> very, very smart man, not necessarily a wise man, but he was a very, very smart man. 
When I, how many of you like Jeopardy? How many of you can win at Jeopardy? I, I know about 10% of the answers, and I'm too slow with them. I know what they are, but I can't, I can't get them out fast enough. Solomon, wisest man of his age. And Solomon comes to the Lord. The Lord comes to Solomon and says, I want you to lead my people. And he says, Lord, I feel like a little boy. How can I lead this great people of yours? He said, I feel like a little boy. And so the Lord gave him great, great wisdom. When Sheba, the Queen of Sheba came to him, there's the scripture on the screen. When the Queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials and the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and burnt offerings he made it he made at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed, at, you know, at everything he had, that everything everything that he knew. And she said to the king, "The report I heard in my country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I didn't did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told to me. You far exceeded the great report I heard." So read the book of Proverbs. For years, and I still do it periodically, I would read a proverb according to the day of the, day of the month. 31 chapters, and I just read a chapter a day. It's phenomenal, the things that, that Solomon writes about. But what I always have to say about him is he wasn't that smart. He had hundreds of wives. I mean, think about it. I mean, one wife is wonderful. I'm not sure two would be any better. And he had hundreds of wives, and the bad thing about his wives was that they didn't follow the Lord. They were women of other religions that influenced him in, in negative ways. So maybe he wasn't as smart as we thought he was. Paul, if you want to know how smart Paul is, just read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters particularly. You read through Ephesians and you tell me what it means. You have to read it over and over and over and over again. He's a very smart man, wrote sentences that were like a paragraph long. He's very bright. And this man, who was that bright, said, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now, sometimes we think we're pretty smart, but... This kind of brings it into perspective. Listen to Paul's words. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Now, this is kind of insulting, I think. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of noble birth. So look around the room and ask yourself, how many of us would the world say, boy, that's a wise person? How many of us would be influential? or come from noble birth. But God, here, here it comes, <laughs> but God chose the foolish things of, of the world to shame the wise. I think about this all the time. I'm not that smart, not that influential, but God chose me. It's kind of baffling, isn't it? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may, may boast before him. In other words, he chose you, he can use you, but you can't take credit because it all comes from him. In other words, we might impress each other, but we don't, 
we don't, we don't impress him. Thirdly, see, number one, you can depend upon your intellect or your strength. Thirdly, you can depend upon God. I'm, I'm, I might have talked about this before, I don't remember, but when I was in the fifth grade, we chose sides. Anybody remember this? The class is standing out there, and they put two people up in the front and say, choose sides. Thankfully, they're merciful most of the time and don't get down to the last one. So I'm choosing one side, fifth grader. I choose, they choose, I choose, they choose. It got down, down to about ten people, and the teacher said, okay, you guys go over here and you guys go over here. In other words, trying to save us, being merciful, so that they, so that they wouldn't look that bad. So <clears throat> I, I took a strength test a number of years ago, and uh, it's called Strength Finder. If you, if you ever find it and read the book, it's, it's really quite fascinating. It gives you your five greatest strengths. Most psychology focuses on things that are wrong, weaknesses. But the guy that wrote this book, his name is Clifton. He, he's the father of strengths psychology, fo focusing on the positive rather than focusing on the negative. So, so uh, you take this test and you get the five top strengths and then you read about them. And my, my five are number one, achiever. I like to get things done. I like to check things off the list. Number two, deliberator. I like to think things through. Uh, M is for uh, maximizer. I like to make things better and better. You can see that since I've been here. Not all at once, but just slowly things start changing. Just get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. It's easier to change that way when it's just a little bit better. And then I is intellectual. intellectual. I like to hang around with smart people. And our relator is I like to work with a group of people as opposed to just working by myself all the time. I like to work by myself, but I like to have people involved as well. So what I would say about myself is that I... I like to work with gifted, smart people who love Jesus. That's an important, com important component to add. People who are willing to depend upon God, not their own intellect. So again, Paul says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. I'm not saying don't be wise. He's saying don't, don't brag about it. Or the strong man boasts of his strength. Or the rich man boasts of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. So... I'm advocating all three. Gosh, be as, as uh, full of strength and physical ability as you possibly can be. Work at it. Do it. But that's not the bottom line. Be as smart as you can. Work hard at using your brain and your brain power. But that's not enough. The bottom line is we want to depend upon Him. So 2 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 7, says this. To keep me from being conceited, and the reason he says that is because he was so smart and God took him and gave him a picture of heaven. So God had to balance all that out in his life. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing and great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Say that with me. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. 
For when I am weak, I am strong. So when you feel weak, here's your position of strength. Those of you who can't see it very well, it's a man kneeling, praying. That's the strongest position that you can take. Lord, I can't deal with this. This brings me to my knees. Lord, I feel inadequate. Lord, I feel, I feel weak. I don't feel competent in this situation. And when you go to your knees, that's when you find your greatest position of strength. And that's so hard to remember, isn't it? So you remember Elijah, one of my favorite Bible characters. Elijah... As you may remember, the story where he killed the prophets of Baal, way outnumbered, hundreds of them, one of him. Jezebel threatened him, and he ran. He ran the equivalent of a marathon and stopped, and the Lord fed him. And then he got up, and he went to a cave. And this is one of the greatest contrasts. I love this because it says that he, he was in the cave, and there was a great windstorm. It would be like, a, a, I suppose, a tornado or a hurricane in our mind. Then there was an earthquake. Now, a windstorm, powerful. An earthquake, powerful. Then a great fire, powerful. And then Elijah went out and stood at the front of the cave, and everything was quiet. And there was a gentle whisper from the Lord. In other words... Elijah, you're trusting in all these powerful, powerful things. But that gentle, quiet voice came and he covered his head. He knew that he was in the presence of the Lord. So I know we admire people a lot who get aggressive, use their strength, use their influence, use their money, use their intellect. And we all tend to try and Elevate to that. But God is saying, when you're weak, you're strong. Not that we should go around acting like we're weak all the time, but when we feel, Lord, I can't deal with this. Intellectually, I, 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 don't, I don't understand this. I don't have the strength to deal with this. Then get on your knees, because that's your greatest position of strength. One of the things I've noticed over the years, if I do it today before I told you this, when you're praying in front of a group of people, when you start going after the devil, you know what happens? Everybody joins in. Everybody, the voices kind of pick up. It's, it's fascinating to me. Sometimes somebody will pray and will say, oh, man, what a powerful prayer. And the reason they said it was a powerful prayer was because of the volume of the person's voice. It's not your strength. It's not your money. It's not your intellect. It's not the volume of your voice. It's that gentle, quiet voice of the Lord. God is powerful, and when we recognize that, that's when we are in our greatest strength. Bow your heads with me, if you would, please. And I want to ask, first of all, if there's anybody here today